welcome back to the Self-Taught Artist Podcast. I'm Lauren Christine, your host. I've been on hiatus for a few months now, and it has been a busy yet exciting time in my life. My real job, aka my executive coaching and career coaching business has been super busy, and that has left less time for my arts and my creativity and my podcasting during this season. Never fear though, I am back with something new and that would be a bunch of new episodes of the Self-Taught Artist Podcast. That's right, season three is here, the wait is over. This week, to kick us off, I am doing a follow-up episode to an extremely popular episode from season two. I actually had this episode all planned out in December, yet I ran out of time to record it, and the holidays, well, whew, they got a little hectic. So, finally, I have it here for you today. I'm very excited to get this episode out into the world. Thank you for your patience with me while I was on my podcasting break. I have seen tons of new self-taught artists join our little family in the last few months and had lots of growth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So I'd love to extend a warm welcome to all of the new listeners. I've seen your reviews and your ratings. And honestly, that's one of the big things that brought me back today to take the time on my Saturday to record these episodes. So that's going to be my shameless plug. If you have not yet rated the podcast, take a second, give me five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really encourages me to keep going with the podcast. Now, you may have caught me saying earlier the word episodes. Yes, plural episodes. I have six other episodes already recorded, locked and loaded, and scheduled to be released over the coming weeks. So you will hear a little bit more about that next week. Let's get on to today's episode. Now, back in September, I had a very popular episode all about household items you can use to paint with. Actually, after that episode, I put out a call for listeners to submit more ideas for household items that artists can use to paint with. And I used that feedback. I discovered a few new things in the months since and now have an update. Today, I'll be sharing nine more household items you can use to paint with. Maybe they'll help you loosen up. Maybe they'll help you with a new technique and maybe it'll just be fun to paint with them. And that will be our follow-up episode today. As I mentioned before on that initial episode, one of my secrets to getting interesting patterns and effects in my mixed media artwork is not to use my paintbrush all the time. Paintbrushes are great in that they are extremely consistent. You can get the same kind of line, the same kind of dab, the same kind of marking out of them time after time after time. That's why we love paintbrushes. 
But if you're looking for visual interest and you're looking for something fun or different or unique, well, found objects provide exactly that. They are very interesting and fun to experiment with. And I also love to use them in my underlayers or just to get unexpected effects in my artwork. Without further ado, let's get on to the good stuff. And I am going to share these nine ideas with you. First, let's talk about Ziploc plastic bags. Now you could use a Ziploc bag for plenty of things in your artwork, but I actually want to highlight one particular, very interesting use for it. A Ziploc bag can be the perfect substitute for a jelly plate. I don't know if you've heard about jelly plates or not. I'm sure I've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast because I have a jelly plate or two and they are really a very different and unexpected, just a completely different technique to try. Um, so if you're interested in prints or interesting backgrounds or textures or repeating patterns in multimedia art, you might be interested in jelly printing. It's also called mono printing. So first, what is a monoprint? Well, a monoprint is a form of printmaking where the image can only be made once. That's unlike most printmaking, which allows for multiple prints of the same thing. So if you've never heard of a jelly print or a jelly plate or a jelly plate press, it's kind of all the different names for it. Well, a jelly plate is essentially a thin piece of gelatin that you use to put paint on and then you press it onto fabric or paper. The process is very easy as it's pretty much foolproof. You stick paint on the jelly surface, you spread it out with a, uh, a brayer is the technical tool to spread it out but you could also use something like an old gift card, an old hotel room key, just like a piece of plastic to spread out the paint. Then you use a variety of stencils or textural objects are placed on the jelly plate. Um, you can also carve into the paint and make designs. Once you have it the way you want it, you then put your piece of paper on top, you press it down, or a piece of fabric if you want to do it on fabric and then you remove it and voila you have a jelly printed piece of art now if you have no idea what i'm talking about i would highly encourage you to go online and look at videos of jelly printing to get an idea of what you can do with a jelly plate now how does that connect back with a Ziploc bag? Well, you can actually use a Ziploc bag as a faux jelly printing plate. Similar to a true jelly plate, well, paint does not stick to a Ziploc bag. You can spread paint on it, move the paint around, put a pattern on it, you can play with negative space, and then you put your piece of paper on top, 
press it down, lift it, and you'll have a really interesting monoprint. This is one of those things you have to see to believe, and actually you need to try to even understand the depths of what is possible with monoprinting. However, if you have seen some of these videos online of monoprinting or jelly plate printing, and you've always wanted to try it, but you didn't want to invest in a jelly plate, totally understand. And I would tell you, get a big, you know, gallon size Ziploc bag and start trying it. The things that I have done with a jelly plate are super cool because there's really no other way you could get that kind of print on a piece of paper. And you can do things with textures and negative space that I just think would be impossible in any other way. And that's the beauty of monoprinting. So I highly recommend you check it out. If nothing else, I am just excited to make you aware of this technique. Monoprinting is worth looking up um, just for all the different ways you could use it in a rich underlayer for a painting or even as the main, the main course of your art. There are plenty of artists that actually make prints and that is their art form. That is their medium. So try it out, see what you think. And if you really like it with a Ziploc bag, then I would tell you go on, on a search online. Um, I know Amazon used to have jelly plate presses on there. You can also check your local art stores. Um, Cause if you like doing it on a Ziploc bag, well, get a small, jelly plate and try the real thing because um, you'll be able to do even more if you enjoy it. But a Ziploc bag is the perfect way to try it first. So you may have thought about using a Ziploc bag before in your art, perhaps because paint doesn't stick to it, but I don't know if you've ever thought about this use for it. So that wraps up the number one thing on my list, Ziploc plastic bags. Number two, bubble wrap. While we are talking about texture and patterns, remember it doesn't have to be that complicated. Getting a neat repeating texture or pattern on your artwork can be as simple as using bubble wrap. I remember when I first saw someone use bubble wrap in a mixed media piece of art. I believe it was in an art journaling spread and I saw that and I went, that is so cool. When you see it, it just, it looks so interesting, but it's not super distracting because it is such a kind of soothing pattern. Um, and it creates interesting texture to add to a background or use in any kind of mixed media art. I would encourage you to think about how you could use it in the under layers of a piece, or use it in a background or maybe as an accent on some part of your art, especially if you like doing anything abstract or semi-abstract or whimsical or art journaling. Man, I think there's so many things you could do with bubble wrap. Um, so I'd encourage you to get some next time you have a package come in, just take some of that bubble wrap out, pull it aside and stick it on your art 
pile um, and just see one day if you get inspired to use it in a piece of your art. Um, it's really neat when you layer over it and you let just parts of it peek through. Seriously, just try it and let your imagination run wild a little bit. The other thing you can do technically too, is you could combine number one and number two on this list. You can do a monoprint and use bubble wrap to add texture to your monoprint. And once you put paint on your Ziploc bag, you could go in with another color and you put that on the bubble wrap and you layer that on top. That would be really cool. Just something to try, just something to try. All right, number three, toothpicks. Sometimes painting is all about applying paint to a surface, and sometimes it's about taking it away. Toothpicks can do a little bit of both. You can use toothpicks to apply tiny little spots of paint. You know, my classic use case for this is if I'm painting flowers and I have some in the background and I need just a little tiny dot to get in the middle of the suggestion of a flower in the background. Well, toothpick is perfect. And, you know, they always keep their shape. That's the nice thing about toothpicks. They are perfect for tiny little spots because they don't have bristles that are going to spray out and get scraggly. Um, you know, it keeps its shape and it is pretty foolproof, unlike those small paintbrushes. You know, uh, there have been plenty of times when I use a small paintbrush and it inadvertently doesn't get me the result that I want if I accidentally apply too much pressure. So toothpicks can be something to try if you need little dots or little specks. But as I mentioned, you can also use a toothpick to take paint away, to remove paint and scratch designs into fresh paint that's still wet or make tiny little lines, little patterns, um, lots of different things you can do. So don't forget that once paint is on your canvas or on your paper, you can always scratch through it and show that layer below if you paint in layers. Um, so just remember, while it's wet, you can always scratch through it and create some very interesting but subtle effects. Number four, a hair comb. A basic plastic hair comb is another tool you can use to add paint in repeating lines or take paint away and creating interesting patterns and texture through negative space. Whether you're painting with a comb or if you're using a comb to scratch away at paint, the nice thing about a comb is that the lines are always perfectly spaced. You can wiggle them, but the space between each line typically stays the same due to the plastic comb and the teeth, if you know what I'm talking about. You can get some pretty cool effects. I've seen people do lots of interesting things with squiggly lines and scratching. It, it has that kind of purposeful look because the teeth provide that consistency of the space between the lines, which would be hard to get in any other way. 
Now, I would tell you to try looking around at the dollar store for some cheap combs. And remember that if you find a comb, but the teeth are too close together, um, you can actually use scissors to remove some of those plastic comb, um, some of those plastic teeth if you want a different pattern, or maybe you don't want perfectly spaced lines. Well, use that scissor and mix it up. You can find some combs with large teeth and others with small fine teeth. Just try experimenting, see what you can find at the dollar store or maybe around your house, who knows, and just see what happens. This episode is all about experimentation, having a little fun, because these household objects are not meant to be taken too seriously. They're meant to be fun. They're meant to add something unexpected to your art. So I can't wait to see what you do with it. But that brings us to number five on the list. Think about hardware like screws and washers, maybe even nails. Um, take a look in your junk drawer or your toolbox or your husband's toolbox and see if you can find any interesting metal hardware that you could use to create interesting patterns or textures in your art. Um, alternatively, you could also go to your local hardware store and typically, at least at the ones by me, they'll have big bins of all different sizes, screws and washers and other little metal building things that I don't even know what they are. But don't overlook the hardware store. A hardware store can have lots of these interesting little objects and it's worth playing around with it. So think about a washer, you know, you could use that as sort of a stamp in a way to stamp patterns into your art. You could use screws to get, again, just like little lines, but different lines. If you put it horizontally and kind of scratched it through paint, I don't know, you just never know. Or the top of a screw actually even having that little kind of makes an X or a cross on the circle. Like you could actually print that into some like kind of using like kind of like a stamp use it like a stamp dip it into some paint dip it on your paper see what happens um just go and take a look at your hardware store and see what you find because i always find something interesting there and typically it's not very expensive so just a little little tidbit there all right number six wine corks. So speaking of stamps, you can actually use wine corks to make your own stamp, or you could simply create a round or a semicircle or rectangular repeating patterns by dipping the wine cork into paint and then pressing it on your substrate. The shape obviously depends on what part of the cork you use. You could use a round bottom, you could cut it in half down the middle and create a half circle, or you can flip it the other way and use it as a rectangle. If you want to make a stamp out of a wine cork, instead of carving into them, I'd suggest getting a small piece of craft foam, cutting out the shape you want your stamp to be, 
and then gluing it to one end of the cork. And that can be a really easy way to get some very interesting stamps that you make yourself. I know I've previously mentioned my love of fancy stamps on this podcast, which is funny. I don't actually own any fancy stamps yet, but I sure love looking at them and seeing the creativity of stamp makers and people who use stamps in their art. Oh, I just think it's so cool. But what I have done is I have made some of my own and little ones can be really easily done with wine corks and a little bit of craft foam. Um, again, I would tell you check at your dollar store and see if you can get a little piece of craft foam, glue it to the wine cork, and then you can go to town stamping away. It's, it's a nice little handle. It helps you get some, some pressure there. Um, but don't also, but don't overlook all the different shapes you can get with just a plain wine cork. If you cut it in different ways and think about how stamps could be used in your art, or even just to get a more perfect circle, um, a small one, but a circle nonetheless, which can be helpful for certain things. Number seven, makeup brushes. Apparently you can use makeup brushes as a pretty good substitute for paint brushes. Makeup brushes come in all different shapes and some, not all of them, but some of them are actually pretty inexpensive. If you have an old makeup brush you're thinking of getting rid of, perhaps it's just laying around your bathroom or in some drawer somewhere, try using it to paint with. One of our wonderful listeners actually wrote in to me saying that she uses makeup brushes to paint with way more than real paintbrushes. I can't find who sent me that message on Instagram, so I can't thank you by name, but she said that she thinks that they are actually more economical than a lot of paintbrushes. And a lot of them, just with the way they're designed, are such that they will hold a lot of paint in the bristles. When you compare the typical paintbrush to a makeup brush, a makeup brush is going to have denser, probably thicker hairs in a lot of cases. or, well, I don't know if it's going to be thicker, but maybe it's going to be denser hairs, and that can hold a lot of paint in one brush. So I wanted to pass on this tip from a listener because I think it's a really great one. And if you want to buy a new makeup brush to try painting with, I would suggest you first try the ELF ELF line that you can find at most drugstores or Target. They have pretty inexpensive and cheap brushes that seem to be decent quality. You do not need expensive makeup brushes or any fancy brand. You just need them to hold their bristles. And frankly, I think that is probably the biggest difference between makeup brushes and true artist paint brushes is makeup brushes, I'm guessing many brands are going to shed more bristles more often. And that could be annoying. It depends on the kind of art that you do. Um, but you know, it's, 
it's just one of those trade-offs. If you want a big, thick, dense brush, it might be worth experimenting with. And you know, if the paint is wet, you can always go in with some tweezers or your fingers and pick out the, the hair bristles if they stick in your paint. I mean, frankly, I'm sure I've left many in my mixed media artwork and, and just art where I paint thickly and I don't think anybody's ever noticed. So don't worry too much. But think about makeup brushes as an alternative, especially as you think about big brushes, because if you're working on big canvases or big pieces of paper, you need to be using big brushes. Small brushes are going to hold you back. They're going to make things take more time and they're going to be a lot tighter. And when you're working big, I'd encourage you to loosen up, get that painterly style, that painterly look. Well, you're going to have a much better success rate and it's going to be much less frustrating if you're painting big to paint with big brushes. And guess what? Makeup brushes typically are pretty big, um, especially from those big kabuki style ones where they're kind of the thick powder brushes. Ooh, that could be great for big substrates. So that could end up being a great money saving hack there. If you try that actually, and you find a brand of makeup brushes that you really like using, let me know, please. So that way I can share with our other wonderful listeners out there. All right, moving right along. Number eight, popsicle sticks. Let's talk about popsicle sticks for a minute. I kind of forgot that popsicle sticks existed, to be honest, but they recently re-entered my life because I found some at my mom's house and they can be used in a variety of ways. You get a long straight edge, so you can use them to spread paint around in unexpected ways. You can also use them as a guide to get straight lines or paint hard edges, much like you would a ruler. But the nice thing about using popsicle sticks is that you don't have to worry about cleanup. You know, you can paint a popsicle stick and who cares if it, you know, turns out pink. It doesn't matter. But, you know, I do like to keep my rulers clean-ish. The funny thing is I have a ruler here that is actually on my desk and it is covered in paint to the point where you can barely see the numbers on it. But you know, that's the life of an artist. The other thing with popsicle sticks is that you can easily cut them to the perfect length or size that you need if you want just a short little straight edge. And I would encourage you to think about hard edges and how you could use that as guides in your art um, to create that straight edge. And you just, you put it there on the page and then you paint along one edge and you lift it and it can be a much more painless way of getting straight lines on your art uh, because that is a hard thing for me. Even if I'm using a liner brush, my edges do not, my lines, they just don't look straight. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's the look I'm going for, but sometimes I need a straight edge in paint let's say for like the edge of a table or creating a horizon line. Well, popsicle sticks can help you do that. So just a thought. And if you get more serious about 
wanting a guide, they actually sell them at the hardware store. Um, I think they're called painter's guides, but it's actually a really long piece of metal. I mean, you can get them, I have them in multiple sizes, like one that's about probably 12 inches and I think one that's 24 inches. And it's a plastic handle with a metal kind of metal strip on the edge. And that I can use as a big guide when I'm working big and I need a straight line. Um, a lot of people actually haven't heard of that. So I should find out what that is officially called and talk about that in a future episode. But if you're interested in it, take a look at your local hardware store. It's in the painting section. It's a tool used by professional painters. And I think it's called a painter's guide or a painter's straight edge, something like that. We have reached number nine, the final one on our list, hot glue gun. I actually think I saved the best for last because this is not just any old use for a hot glue gun, but you can actually use it to make stencils. I was actually reminded of this one when I was creating gingerbread houses with my family in December or November, around that time. And if you don't already, I would actually tell you that creating gingerbread houses with a hot glue gun is a game changer. Why use icing as your glue when you can use hot glue instead? It's faster, it holds better, it's pretty much superior in every single way. I never actually eat the gingerbread house itself anyways, so I can get much more intricate with my designs when using hot glue. But that's beside the point for today. As we were sitting around the table, I remembered that you can actually create stencils out of hot glue. If you are a crafter and you have a hot glue gun somewhere in your supply bin, go hunt for it and pull it out. As I already mentioned on this episode and many before, I love the idea of using stencils in my art. I see a lot of artists use them beautifully in mixed media and art journaling and even just normal acrylic paintings. The patterns you can get and the intricate designs are so fun to look at and stencils give a nice repeating element to the artwork. The problem I have with stencils is that the really artsy fancy ones are very expensive. I know there are lots of cheap ones at the arts and craft stores, but I really like unusual and interesting, intricate stencils. Um, so some of my favorite designs I've ever seen are at stencilgirlproducts.com, stencilgirlproducts.com. I haven't actually ordered any yet, but oh, I just love looking at them. Hopefully one day I will be able to try a few out. My art supply wish list is just so long at this point. But what I love about Stencil Girl is that they have a lot of artist designed stencils that are really unexpected and interesting and just not the typical kind of stencil designs you think of when you hear the word stencil. So for inspiration, I would tell you to go to that website or go to their Instagram and check that out for a little bit of inspiration. 
How to answer the real question here, though, is how to create your own stencils using a hot glue gun. Well, first of all, you need a non-stick surface. I use a silicone mat. I use an old silicone baking mat that I got from my sister, actually. This provides a safe area to put the hot glue where it can dry, but yet it won't actually stick to it. Due to, this, due to the silicone material and the chemical properties of it, not much sticks to silicone. And that's why we see it in the kitchen a lot of times. And hot glue doesn't actually stick to it or melt it either. So think about a silicone baking mat. I've also seen silicone mats sometimes at the dollar store, um, especially if you live near the Japanese dollar, dollar store Daiso. I have seen silicone mats there um, quite frequently, actually. If you don't have a silicone mat, you can also use a big piece of glass. Think about a glass cutting board or a glass palette. If you don't have one, I would encourage you to go to a local secondhand store or a thrift store, go into their home goods section and look for a glass cutting board. Now, Number one, the most important thing before you start this is test your non-stick surface. Try a little test in the corner to make sure the surface is indeed non-stick and the glue won't melt it. Uh, just You just wanna make sure the heat of the glue gun isn't gonna cause any issues. Test it first, okay? That is your warning. Always test it first. Now, once you have that confirmed that you have a surface that is non-stick with the hot glue, the next step is all you have to do is draw out your stencil on the silicone mat or the glass board with your hot glue gun. The key with making one of these stencils is to have as many areas of your stencil touching as possible to make it strong and less flimsy. All of the elements have to be connected somehow, and that creates negative space. Um, otherwise, you'll just have a lot of disparate elements that won't kind of create one stencil. You'll end up with a lot of different pieces. Once you try this a few times, you'll understand. But the key with making a good stencil here is you need edges to touch. You need the different elements to kind of all run together with negative space and and spaces for the paint um, to stick onto. And the thicker the lines you create, the more sturdy your stencil will be. Another thing is typically if you're using a higher quality glue stick, my favorite is the Gorilla Glue glue sticks, Gorilla brand. Um, they are a little more expensive, but they have a really nice texture. They're just a thicker glue than the cheapest ones. Um, if you use that thicker glue and you create thicker lines, you will have a more sturdy stencil. So I would tell you first, use some cheap glue sticks to play around, test it, see what you like. 
and then try try it with a thicker line a, and create a more sturdy version once you know what you like and what you like using and how to do it because your first few may not actually work out you can make shapes you can write out words you can create repeating geometric designs landscape elements man i mean the possibilities are truly endless and once you draw your design let it dry you need it to completely thoroughly dry once it's dry you can easily peel it off the silicone mat or nonstick surface you can then use these stencils with acrylic or gouache or watercolor or whatever media you want think about it as a stencil where you can either paint around it and you can get you can use the actual stencil as negative space or you could apply paint to the stencil itself and stamp it down there are so many ways that you can use stencils and you just have to experiment a little bit to get the hang of it i have given you a lot to think about today so i hope you are ready to go rummage around your closets and your house to see what household objects you can find to play around with and use in your art now i know that today's episode will be most helpful for the art journalers or the mixed media artists out there and my hope is that some of you that use watercolor or maybe you are just a traditional acrylic artist or hey even an oil painter i don't know that some of you use this to loosen up try something new and just have a little bit of fun with your art do remember art is supposed to be fun you're supposed to enjoy it and sometimes when you hold a household item in your hand and you're painting with it just takes off a little bit of the pressure and that is a good thing for loosening up and getting painterly artistic flow going on your page or on your canvas now i hope that you are excited for a few more episodes and you're excited for all that season three has to bring to the self-taught artist podcast I will be back next week with a new episode. I will actually be kicking off a multi-week series. Next week, we will be kicking off the first part of a multi-week series on artistic comebacks and how to get back to your art, how to come back to your creative practice after a time away. This has been on my mind lately as i have gone through my very busy life season and now i want to dive back into my art and i figure i'll bring all of you along with me as i explore the artistic comeback so stay tuned for that next week i am so glad you're here i'm so glad to be back for season three as always you can find me online on Instagram at Lauren Christine Art. You can go to the website, laurenchristineart.com, where I have old transcripts and downloads and information from previous episodes of the podcast. I'll add this one on there eventually. And you can always email me at laurenchristineart at gmail.com. 
Until next time, my friends, happy creating.